Well, good morning once again, everyone. And uh, it's a joy to greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would just add my greetings if, uh, if you are visiting today. Uh, glad to have you all here with us this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at a passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. A, a short passage today um, as we continue in our series on the living church. So uh, let's pray before we read this morning. Gracious God, we give you thanks once again uh, for the gift of your word. Lord, we thank you uh, that you have revealed yourself and continue to reveal yourself uh, through your scriptures. We thank you that you spoke uh, through the prophets and the apostles and that we still have those words so that we can uh, grow in our knowledge and love of you. And we pray, as, as Mastona has already prayed this morning, that you, would, that you would speak to us once again and open our hearts to receive whatever it is you have to say to us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're continuing today in our series uh, called The Living Church, looking at, at what it means to be a church that is alive in Christ a church that is full of the Holy Spirit. And what does that kind of a church look like? What are its characteristics? What, what are its commitments? What sort of fruit is produced by a living church? Would you know it when you saw it? And one of the things that we hope will come out of this series is, is that we would have a sense of what a living church looks like so that we can look at ourselves and say, are we a living church? Are we alive in Christ? Are we bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? But also that we would walk away uh, having a sense of the beauty and the importance of God's church, what it means to be uh, a part of the body of Christ, and that we are called by God to, to walk this life of faith with each other. Uh, and that is a real gift. We don't want to go it alone, or we should not go it alone. So how do we do this together? And so uh, one of the things that we have talked about throughout these sermons is that, ch- that the church has what we might call a dual identity. It is called out from the world and set apart for God's purposes, but then sent back into the world to be his witness. And this is something that we see throughout Scripture, this is, this is a part of God's plan for the redemption of the world, that he calls a people out from the world to be his, his special possession and to bring him glory. And then he sends those very same people back into the world to be his witnesses, to point other people to him, to tell the goodness of the cross and the empty tomb, of sins forgiven, of, of eternal life with God. And to call people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so, so God calls us out from the world and he changes us. He makes us his people. And then he sends us back into it. And he sends us back with a new identity and purpose and mission when he sends us back into the world. 
And even as we've been going through this series, as we've preached different sermons, we've tried to reflect this dual identity a little bit, that God calls us as a people out for his glory, worship. We worship him. But then he sends us back into the world to share his good news with other people, evangelism, two of the topics we've covered. He calls us out to make us his people together, fellowship. It's something that that Steve Henderson talked about on our retreat together. But then he sends us back into the world to use our gifts and our treasure and our possessions for his kingdom giving. And last week, Mike Tilley, our guest preacher, he talked about what a healthy church looks like, one that is marked by faith and hope and love. And a healthy church then is sent back into the world to be salt and light. And this is what we're going to be talking about this morning, the kind of impact that we have in the world or what kind of an influence that we have in the world. There's a great tradition that we talked about this morning. We've seen it here this morning at ICP. Uh, when someone gets baptized, uh, that we have them take a taste of salt. And everybody, you say, what does that taste like? They say, salty, right? Uh, you have them take a taste of salt, and then we give them a candle that is lit. And we repeat these words uh, from Jesus that we just read from our passage today, that you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And this is true, because this is uh, something that Jesus is giving us, an identity he is giving us. But really, Jesus, when he says that, he is talking to his disciples together, as uh, we might say, he speaking to the church, his followers, that together we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's what we're talking about this morning. But what does this mean? It's one thing to to have people take a taste of salt and say, you are the salt of the earth. It's one thing to give them a candle and say, you are the light of the world. But what is Jesus getting at when he says this? And that's what we're going to be reflecting on a little bit this morning. And so I want to start uh, with us thinking about the idea of influencers. Influencers. Has anybody heard that term? before influencers yes we <laughs> is anybody in here an influencer anyone social influence yes i believe that <laughs> that's right they're here so this is a term if you're not familiar with it that's okay uh, but this is a term that has has risen up in the popular culture over the last i don't know 5 to 10 years right that we have social media influencers and when people use that term often what they're talking about is people who have lots and lots and lots of followers on their social media accounts, whether that's Facebook, whether that's Instagram, whether that's the social media uh, that used to be known as Twitter, but is now known as X, right? Uh, Whether it's one of those things, uh, they might have hundreds or, well, really not hundreds. You're not really an influencer at that point, okay? No offense. But they might have thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of followers, people that are, are, are paying attention to what they have to say. And often companies will pay them top dollar to promote their products because of the number of people who follow their lead in life. If you are a shoe company and you want to sell your shoes, right, you can pay for a commercial or you can pay an influencer to wear those shoes. And automatically, lots of people are just going to start wearing those shoes. And in fact, it's not just that they have people who are paying attention to them and what they do, but these people are listening to their opinions and they want to know their thoughts and they want to see how they act and people follow their example. They are influenced by them. It's the same reason uh, that politicians look for celebrity endorsements when they're running for office because they know these people are famous, they're popular, and if they say they like me, then other people are going to like me too. And maybe I'll get more votes that way. 
right? And these influencers, to some degree, they have the ability to shape the way that their followers think and act. And just as an aside, if you ever wonder whether the world still has a problem with idolatry, of of making idols of people or things other than God, then you can find evidence for it here in the world of social media influencers. We can talk more about that if you want, but that's the way that they impact the way people think and act. There's something going on there. And the idea of being an influencer is not actually new. It's not something that has just risen up with social media. It's a word, it's an idea that goes back a long way, that there's always, there have always been influencers in the world. And it's just talking about somebody whose thoughts and opinions and actions can shape other people's thoughts and opinions and actions. And depending on how much influence uh, uh, someone may have or a company may have, they may even be able to persuade people to change their thoughts and opinions on things, to actually change the way that they think about things. I remember when I was growing up, uh, some of you may be able to relate to this, but I remember when I was growing up, my mom was often very concerned about who I was spending time with, right? Especially when I was getting around, you know, sort of uh, middle school, junior high age through high school. And there were certain friends that my mom was like, yes, please go spend time with them, play with them, do whatever you want with them. And there were other friends that my mom was like, "Eh, maybe we're busy tonight. Uh, Maybe we have family plans, Mike. Uh, I didn't tell you, but you're going to stay home, okay? And the reason for that is because my mom understood a reality of the world, which is that the people that we spend time with have an influence on us. And so she wanted us to be around people who were going to have a good influence on us rather than a bad influence on us. And if a person or or maybe a group of people or an organization, they gain enough influence, then they really have the ability to shape a whole society or the culture of a society. So, What's the point? Well, Jesus in our passage today says that we are salt and light. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And what Jesus is saying to his followers, the the people that are there listening to that sermon, is that they are influencers for him. That he wants them to have an impact on the world that might change the way that people think, that might change the way that people act, Uh, that might change uh, the way that the world goes about things. It might change their understandings of the reality of the world. Jesus wants to influence the world through us, through his people. And so when he says that you are salt and you are light, that is what he is getting at. Our passage today comes from uh, early in the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's the longest and probably the most well-known of Jesus' teachings in the Gospels, from Matthew chapter f- uh, 5 through uh, 8 or so, uh, in, which gives us some important context on this teaching. Because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, two of the big themes that rise to the surface are Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and also Jesus talking about discipleship. And throughout the whole sermon, these are two of the main things that he is is drawing attention to. Jesus is giving us a vision for his kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom over which he is the king. And this is a kingdom that is governed according to God's character and God's will and God's wisdom. Which is very different from the kingdoms of this world and how they are typically run. And Jesus says, this is why I have come to announce this kingdom, the kingdom of God, to bring it with me. 
in my life and my death and my resurrection, these are the things that allow you to come and to be a part of this kingdom. And you can live as a part of this kingdom. Even now, even in this life that you are already living, you can live it in the kingdom of God. So come and follow me and be my disciple. This is what Jesus is calling them to do. Learn from me and be my student. Listen to my words. Put them into practice. And then you will be living as citizens of my kingdom. And this is the best and the fullest and the most life-giving way to be in this world, to follow Jesus Christ. And it may not always be the easiest of the paths or the path of least resistance, but it is the best way to be in this world because it is the way that God has designed things to be. In fact, this is the way that we are created to live, the way that Jesus is showing us here in the Sermon on the Mount And this kind of life that he's showing us is what brings us to experience God's love and joy and peace in this life. This kind of life brings us to experience God's freedom, the freedom of being in bondage to sin, something that we've already heard testimonies about here this morning. And it's because this new kingdom is here, God's kingdom, that Jesus is able to start his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with the Beatitudes, a, a passage that many of you may be familiar with. And Jesus looks, it's the Sermon on the Mount, he's standing there and people are gathered around him, they're listening to what he has to say, and he starts his sermon with this Beatitudes, looking over these people that have been following him from place to place, uh, and he is, uh, they're out there trying to make it through life the best they can with everything that life throws at them. These are people who experience joy and sorrow each day, just like each one of us. So maybe imagine yourself being there at this place and Jesus speaking to you as well. And Jesus looks out at this great crowd and he calls the people there blessed. He says, you are blessed. Blessed are you uh, if, sorry, another way to think about it is Jesus saying, I have good news for you, right? Blessed are you, I have good news for you. And he goes on to say this, if you're poor in spirit, I have good news for you today because the kingdom of heaven is for you. If you are mourning for some reason today, if you are sad, then I have good news for you because you are going to be comforted. If you're meek, I have good news for you too because you are going to inherit the earth. And on and on and on he goes. Blessed are you. I have good news for you, even when you are going through difficult times. It reminds me of the angels who appear to the shepherds on Christmas Eve to announce Jesus' birth. And they, come and they say, we have come to bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. My kingdom is here, and you can be a part of it. This is what Jesus wants these people to hear in that sermon. And then after looking over these crowds and blessing them and giving them this good news of announcing his kingdom, Jesus looks at these same crowds, these same people, and he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. All of these meek and mourning and persecuted, poor in spirit people, Jesus looks at them and says, you are blessed and I am going to influence the world through you. This is what I have called you to do and be. One of the great things about what Jesus does here is that he gives both an affirmation as well as a sort of a challenge or a prodding or maybe, maybe even a caution in this statement. But he starts by telling the people who they are. 
He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is part of your identity as my disciples, as as people who are following me. Now live into that identity. Inhabit this role. Be what you already are. And this is what Jesus, the way Jesus often works with us. He affirms our identity in him, and then he tells us to go and live that way. He does it with other parts of our identity in him too. Jesus says, you are a beloved child of God. Now go and live as if that is true. He says, you are citizens of God's kingdom. Now go and live as if that were true. You have been set free from sin. Now go and live as if that were true. Now it's not as though we're going to be perfect in inhabiting all of these roles, but we don't have to earn them. We don't have to earn these identities. They aren't something that we achieve somehow. God has made us these things by his grace. We already are the salt of the earth, and we already are the light of the world. So in this case, it's not a matter of becoming these things. Jesus isn't saying you should be salt and light or that you should work to become something like this. It's what you already are. I have made you these things. And if you stick with me, if you follow me, if you will be my disciples, then you will be salt and light. It's the same idea, different metaphor, though, of what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 15, where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Then he goes on to say this in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, Jesus is saying, look, if you stick with me, you will bear much fruit. You will be salt and light, and you will have an influence on this world for me. What Jesus is concerned with, uh, part of the caution that he's giving, is that we won't live into these roles in some way, that we might remain apart from him. He says, look, don't waste the influence that I've given you. Don't be the salt that just sits on the shelf. Don't be the salt that loses its saltiness. I'm not even really sure how that happens, but don't be the salt that loses its saltiness. It serves no purpose at that point. Or don't be the light that is put under a basket where no one can see it. I love that image. Jesus, it's, it's so obvious, right? Why would you ever light a flashlight and then put a cover over top of it, right? There's just serves no purpose. And Jesus is saying, look, if you say that you're my follower, if you put your faith in me, but then you don't let your light shine before other people, then, then you are missing the purpose to which I have called you. Don't be a light that gets stuck under a basket or a bowl that gets covered up in some way. The key here is that for salt and light to be useful, uh, they have to be used out in the world, fulfilling the purposes for which they have been created. We can't hide ourselves away and escape the troubles of the world to follow Christ. And even if we tried, we wouldn't really be able to do it. Uh, But this is what Jesus is saying. I love that he uses these examples, salt and light, because they are these two everyday things that everyone knows. Even back then, 2,000 years ago, uh, everybody knew what salt and light were. Everybody used them regularly on a daily, daily basis. They were these very ordinary things, and people knew what they were for. Salt works as a preservative, and especially back then, it was used to keep meat from going bad, and it had purifying qualities as well. And in a sense, this is how we as Christians are meant to be in the world, serving to stand against the corruption and moral decay that is so common around us. 
And light also has purifying qualities. It helps keep things from getting moldy and musty and rotten. We want to shine light into dark places, right, to keep it clean. But it also dispels darkness. It helps us to see the world as it really is and to know the truth of things and to respond accordingly. It keeps us from stumbling around ignorant of what's going on around us. And it brings secretive things out into the open, holding them up to be known and to be held accountable. And this is also a role that we are to play as followers of Christ, to be light in the world. But salt and light are also both means for us to enjoy the world that God has made. And this is part of what Jesus is saying here as well. This is why he uses these examples. Salt brings out the flavor in food, and light brings out the color and beauty of things. They both work against what's bad in the world, but they also help us to see and experience the good that is there too. And this is how Christ desires us to, uh, to use us in the world, how he wants to use the church, to both work against what is bad in the world, but also to bring out what is good and what we can enjoy, to show forth God's glory and majesty in some way in this world. John Stott, uh, who wrote the book, The Living Church, we're sort of using as our basis for this sermon series, he uses these images to point out that Christians have both social and evangelistic responsibilities. And he says, we need both. We should not emphasize one at the expense of the other, which is what we often tend to do. We think that our job as Christians is either to work for social justice, meaning that we want to change the, the things in the world that are wrong, the injustices we see, and fix them, But other people say, no, that's not our job as Christians. Our job is just to proclaim the gospel, to focus on making converts. And Stott says, no, no, we need to do both of these things. Our good friend Eugene Peterson, who we quoted in here before, says it this way. He says, it isn't social action versus personal salvation. A half-truth is not a truth. Both sides are wrong to focus on one or the other. It is both. And we have too many one-legged Christians walking around. In our role as salt, we are to do good deeds. We are to to look for injustices in in society in order to help right them. We are to look for people who are down and out, who are marginalized, who are oppressed, and to minister to them. This is part of what God calls us to do. And as light, we are to preach the gospel of God's kingdom into a world that needs to hear that God loves us. People need to hear that Jesus died on the cross for them and that Jesus rose for them on the third day and that Jesus wants to give us new life in him. And all too often we separate these two roles, these two vocations that we've been given. But the full gospel includes both of these things, both our social responsibilities and our evangelistic responsibilities. Stott says, the world is bad. It needs salt. He says, the world is dark. It needs light. What is key for both of these roles is that we have to, again, be out in the world in order to have the influence that God has given to us. We have to live into what we already are. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't hide your light. In much of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a picture of what salt and light looks like in concrete ways. It's what we might call the practical application part of the sermon. This is the go and do. And Jesus is saying, here are some of the ways that you can have the kind of influence that I'm talking about. And he goes on to talk about things like this. Don't lash out in anger at other people. 
This is a way to be my disciple. Don't lash out in anger at other people. And if there is an issue between you and a brother and sister in Christ, work towards reconciliation with that person. Jesus says, be faithful to your spouse in your actions, but also in your thoughts. He says, don't seek revenge. Love your enemies along with your family and your friends and pray for them. Live honestly and with integrity. Give to those in need. And not only that, but when you give to those in need, don't make a big deal out of it when you do, drawing attention to yourself. Don't spend your time so worried and anxious about your life and what tomorrow might bring. Live lives of prayer and of obedience to God's word. These are the things that he goes on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, how we can live as salt and light in this world. And there's more, of course, and it's worth reading through on your own time. I would encourage you to do that. But these are the kinds of good deeds that Jesus is talking about in verse 16 when he says, let your good deeds shine before other people so that they can give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And we do it communally, too, as a church body, live as salt and light. And this is why here at ICP we support ministries like Bethel and like Dignity. This is why we work so hard uh, to, to do things like we do with TIPA or with the ministry to homeless people. This is why we spend so much time and emphasis on our children's ministry and our youth ministry and things of that nature and home groups so that we might also let our light shine before other people. It's something that we want to do together and God uses that. So I have two closing thoughts for our sermon today. The first uh, is this, that there's a huge difference between the kind of influence that Jesus calls us to have in the world as Christians and as the church and the kind of influence that many of today's influencers are seeking to have. And this is a really important distinction to make. Our role in salt and light in the world is never to draw attention to ourselves or to pump ourselves up. But the end game is always to bring glory to God, our Heavenly Father. That is where the attention belongs. God is the one who should be made famous. It's not that wanting to have an influence is a bad thing in and of itself. It comes from a good place. We all want to make an impact. We want our lives to count for something. And the reality is that you will have an influence in this world and in your life. You already have the question is, what kind of an influence are you going to have? What will that influence be? And Jesus invites us to make an influence for him and to leave fruit that will last. Our passage today ends by saying uh, that to be salt and light so that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are always to point beyond ourselves to our heavenly Father with humility for after all, he is the one who has made us what we are, and it is his light who shines through us in the first place. We are never to forget that. Lord, have mercy upon us. And the second point is this, that it is often in the midst of the world's troubles and adversity that the church has its biggest influence, right? In this world, we will have trouble. This is a promise of scripture, and we can see it all around us. I remember when I used to do youth ministry, sometimes I would get out a, a, 
uh, dry erase board, and I would just ask the young people, tell us where you see sin in the world. And it did not take long to fill that board up because it's all around us and we see it all the time. And we live in troubled times, friends. I think everybody who has ever lived could say that they lived in troubled times, but we live in troubling times. Just in this decade, we have lived through a worldwide pandemic which killed countless numbers of people. Uh, we, uh, there was an economic downturn that resulted from that as well, and political and social division, even within the church, that resulted from that. Okay? We also, uh, in the last couple of years, have had two major wars that are raging in the world, one that's been going on for a while now, and one that has just been going on for the last month or so. And this is on top of all of the ongoing troubles that the world sees all the time and has always had. But it is into these troubles that God calls the church to be salt and light. He sends us into this troubled world to have the influence for him. This is a time for the church to shine. Throughout the history of the last 2,000 years, the church has often had its biggest influence by stepping up in times of trouble and crisis to live out its vocation as salt and light. And people see them doing their good deeds and their good works, and they respond by giving glory to their heavenly Father. N.T. Wright, a British New Testament scholar and and, uh, has also been a pastor and bishop, he wrote a book called God and the Pandemic a couple of years ago, and he writes about this idea, and this is is what he says. For the early Christians, uh, back 2,000 years ago, their strong belief in God's promises for life beyond the grave gave them a fearlessness which enabled them to keep cheerful in the face of death. And to go to the aid of sufferers who had been abandoned by their families and their communities. And this has carried on throughout the church's history. As Christians have visited the prisoners or cared for the wounded or welcomed the strangers and fed the hungry and they have tended the sick. And in most past ages, this has been done by the church day and night. In good times and in bad. In the black death and in the bubonic plague, in war and in peace. In the slums of the city and in the isolated farmhouses, clergy and laity alike have done it, and often at considerable or even fatal risk to themselves. We live out our call to be salt and light by laying down our lives for other people and for the world, just as Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And yet we do it in the hope of the resurrection. Last week, I loved that Mike Tilley said one of the marks of a healthy church is one that is is marked by hope, and hope in the resurrection, hope of the eternal life that is promised to us in Jesus Christ. Because when we have that hope, then we look at death a completely different way. And it changes the way that we live in this world and interact with it as well. The church has been salt and light throughout the history of its existence because that is what Jesus has made them. It is what he has made us. And friends, There are any number of ways for us to be salt and light in the world in these times that we live in. So let us look for ways as individuals and as families and even as the whole body of Christ to follow him into the world, to remain in him so that we might bear much fruit, so that we can let our light shine, so that people may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let us pray that God would show us where we might give our money, where we might spend our time, which organizations we might support, which people need our help. And let's follow Jesus into those places. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we are your people. 
And we give you thanks for all that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your faithfulness to us through him. And God, we pray that you would help us to be your disciples so that we might follow you into the world and live into what you have already made us. That we might be the salt of the earth that helps to preserve the earth, or excuse me, preserve this world from decay. That we might be the light of the world that shines your light into the darkness that we see around us. And God, in these troubled times, we pray that you would show us where you are calling us to minister where you are calling us to speak, where you are calling us to act. And we pray that in all of these things, we would point beyond ourselves and back to you so that people might see our good deeds and give you glory. We ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.